0: when the clock has started. Welcome to 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. I'm Graham, your announcer. Pardon me, Graham. I'll take it from here. I'm your announcer, Amy, filling in for Graham. And this is 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. And now, here's Doug. (laughs) Controversy. And the show hasn't even started yet. I love it. (laughs) Yes, this is uh, 20 Minutes, You'll Never Get Back. My name is Doug Prazak. Thank you, as always, for tuning in and giving me your 20 minutes. I wish I could give you something in exchange for that. Uh, Instead, all I can do is talk to you. (laughs) Please don't go away yet. Uh, Let's see. We always start with uh, some hellos to uh, people who tuned in last week, uh, listening to uh, churros. And it goes out to uh, some downloads from Hoboken, New Jersey. I think they're the first time I've seen them on my list. And also another new uh, city, town, village, whatever you want to call it, from England, it's Liverpool. I think some uh, musical group came from that, came from there. I don't want to date myself, but you know, yeah, that's where they came from. Uh, I also want to say thanks to uh, Lincoln, California. Longtime listeners up there in. There apparently there's a lot of them because Lincoln, California, tops my list of city downloads with uh, 2,107 downloads from there. I don't know if it's the same person. I know a listener, Shauna, is is from that area. I can't imagine she's downloaded this 2,107 times uh, or it's the whole town. I I don't know. Whatever. Let's see. Let me do some math here. Uh, 86 episodes on 2,107 downloads. That means on average, each episode was downloaded 24 and a half times. (laughs) So I don't know why, but thank you to Lincoln, California. I appreciate your support. Okay. Uh, Runner-up cities in terms of the most downloads are Santiago, Chile, Anchorage, Alaska, and Alameda, California. So thank you to everybody. I appreciate uh, you always listening to the show and not telling me how bad it is. (laughs) And because I know you care, um, we are still sitting at 49 states. Hey, Montana, you know, what can I do to help you get on board? I'm not not certain what it's going to take. There are 1.06 million people living in Montana. Surely somebody there has 20 minutes to spare. I know that the uh, director of state and territory acquisitions, Catherine, is trying her best. But if anybody listening knows anybody in Montana, just let them know that, uh, you know, I do the research. They don't have to. Okay. (sighs) Sometimes I think I need to apologize about the show before it even starts. (laughs) All right, and now it's time to let you know where this episode's topic came from. You never know, do you? (laughs) What flies into my head? Well, it started when I was sitting here in my handcrafted, soap-filled office. Yeah, that's a shameless plug for my Etsy shop. Anyway, I was tapping my pencil on my college-ruled three-hole punch paper, trying to think about pearls of wisdom I wanted to clog up the internet with. But I was drawing a blank, and then I started thinking about how you really can't draw a blank. I know drawing a blank means drawing a card that has nothing on it. In other words, you can't come up with an idea or something like that. So I took it to the other extreme of the verb to draw, and you just can't draw a blank. You can draw a fill in the blank line, but you really didn't draw a blank. You just made space to write something in it. You can draw a box, but again, you just drew a border around where a blank would be, but you didn't draw the blank. And then, if you drew an arrow into the box pointing where the blank might possibly be, then you've actually put something in the space and it's no longer blank. And then, as I pondered about my inability to draw a blank, I looked at my pencil and I started thinking about it. Uh oh. How did this pencil thing start? Uh, what started it? Uh, how did they shove the lead into that pencil? And why is a pencil yellow? Well, my friends, you know what happened next, and I shouldn't really have to say it after 86 episodes, but I will because I know some of you have completion issues. (laughs) I did some research so you didn't have to. Alas, the pencil. The closest predecessor to the pencil was silver point or lead point. Now, a silver point is a drawing that was made by dragging a silver rod or wire across a surface like parchment leaving behind sort of a faint line that you could see. Then, in 1965, it happened, a large deposit of graphite was discovered in Borodale Parish in England. This particular deposit of graphite was extremely pure and solid and could easily be sawn into sticks. Now, it remains the only large-scale deposit of graphite ever found in this solid form. Chemistry was still in its infancy, and this substance was thought to be a form of lead. Now, consequently, it was called plumago, which is Latin for lead ore. Lead's chemical symbol is PB, which comes from the Latin plumum. Because the pencil core is still referred to as, quote, lead, many people have the misconception that graphite in the pencil is lead, even though it never contained the element lead. As a side note, tradesmen, called plumbers, were the people who worked and repaired on lead-carrying water pipes, hence the plumbers. The value of graphite would soon be realized to be enormous, mainly because it could be used to line the molds for cannonballs. (laughs) We're going from pencils to cannonballs. The mines were taken over by the crown and were guarded. When sufficient stores of graphite had been accumulated, the mines were flooded to prevent theft until more was required. Now, the usefulness of the graphite for pencils was discovered as well, but the graphite for pencils had to be smuggled. These pure deposits of lump graphite were found near Keswick, England, and that spawned quite a smuggling industry. Now, during the 19th century, a major pencil manufacturing industry developed around the Keswick area in order to exploit the high quality of the graphite. Now, because graphite is soft, it requires some form of encasement, Graphite sticks were initially wrapped in string or sheepskin for stability. England would enjoy a monopoly on the production of pencils until a method of reconstituting the graphite powder was found in 1662 in Italy. Around 1560, so a little bit earlier, an Italian couple named Simonio and Lindiana Bernacotti, they made what is likely like the first blueprint for the modern wood-encased pencil. Their version was a flat oval, more of a compact type pencil. Their concept involved hollowing out a stick of juniper wood and then filling it with the graphite. The first attempt to manufacture graphite sticks from powdered graphite was in Nuremberg, Germany in 1662. It used a mixture of graphite and sulfur and a couple other chemicals I can't pronounce. (laughs) And a little while later, in 1795, Nicolas Jacques Conte, discovered a method of mixing powdered graphite with clay and forming the mixture into rods that were then fired in a kiln. The process involved roasting the mixture at 1900 degrees Fahrenheit before encasing the result in a soft, solid wooden surround. To make the wooden surround, the wood was cut into whatever shape the pencil was going to be and then it was sawed in half lengthwise. A groove was then cut down the middle of the wood and the graphite stick was laid in the middle, and the two halves were glued back together again. It's the same process that's used today. Now, the shape of the surround could be square, polygonal, round, depending on the intended use. For example, carpenters don't want round pencils that are going to roll off of the workbench, so they use a flat pencil. By varying the ratio of graphite to clay, the hardness of the graphite rod could also be varied. Now, this method of manufacturing had been earlier discovered by the Austrian Joseph Arthmuth and remains in use. In 1802, the production of graphite leads from graphite and clay was patented by the Coinor Company in Vienna. I always call it Kohinoor, but I believe it's Coinor. See, I'm learning stuff as we go too. Now, the American colonists imported pencils from Europe until the war with England cut off imports. A cabinet maker named William Monroe from Concord, Massachusetts, is credited with making Americans' first wood pencils in 1812. Another Concord native, famous author Henry David Thoreau, you know, Walden Pond guy, well, he also was renowned for his pencil-making prowess. The American pencil industry took off when several pencil manufacturers started getting into the act, and that included the Joseph Dixon Crucible Company, which is now known as Dixon Ticonderoga. And I recall sitting in my classroom when I was in the sixth grade, staring at my pencil that said Ticonderoga on it, instead of paying attention to what was being on the chalkboard. (laughs) Well, by the end of the 19th century, New York and New Jersey hosted several factories established by prominent German pencil manufacturers, including Faber-Castell and Eberhard Faber. And I am holding an Eberhard Faber pencil in my hand right now. Right there. That's my Eberhard Faber. Uh, Number two pencil. The first mass-produced pencils were natural and unpainted to show off the high-quality wood casings. But by the 1890s, many pencil manufacturers started painting their pencils and imprinting them with brand names. Early American pencils were made from eastern red cedar. Now, this cedar is a strong, splinter-resistant wood that grew in Tennessee and other parts of the southeastern United States. Northern manufacturers migrated south to be nearer the source and set up wood mills. Eventually, the greatest concentration of U.S. pencil manufacturers had established factories in Tennessee. To this day, U.S. producers are primarily concentrated in the south. However, by the early 1900s, additional sources of wood were needed. Pencil manufacturers turned to California's Sierra Nevada Mountains, where they found incense Cedar. Now, this cedar is a species that grew in abundance and made superior pencils. California incense cedar soon became the wood of choice for domestic and international pencil makers around the world. Now, to ensure the continued availability of incense cedar, forest workers have carefully managed the stands of trees and timber companies have committed to harvesting incense cedar on a sustained yield basis. Sustained yield means the annual growth of the forest is greater than the amount harvested from the forest. Well, with that, I think it's time to take a break. But when we come back, we're going to talk about uh, what that 2HB on your pencil means. And we're going to answer the question, why yellow? Don't go away. We toast them crisp. We toast them light. You can tell by the taste. We toast them. You know what? We like them. Well, they like post-toasties. I, I hope you got a chance to try them because in 2016, they were discontinued. So sorry about that. Uh, every school kid pretty much anywhere in the world has seen the uh, the HB on the eraser end of a pencil. I remember in, in the fourth grade, I had a, a classmate named Henry Barker, and he convinced me that um, he owned all the pencils. And it had his initials on the pencils and he owned them all. And he wanted me to, <laughs> it was a shakedown. Now I think of. he wanted me to pay them five cents to use his pencil. Like, <laughs> I guess if I had a nickel, I would have given it to him. But anyway, curse you, Henry Barker. <laughs> well, do you know what that really means? Well, it refers to the hardness or the softness of the pencil, quote, lead, the graphite. Now, as I said earlier, graphite is kind of soft. Pencil producers can increase the hardness by adjusting the relative amounts of clay and graphite in the roasting mixture. Commercial pencil manufacturers typically market 20 grades of pencil from the softest, a 9B, to the hardest, 9H, with the most popular intermediate value of HB laying somewhere in the middle between H and B. What do those stand for, you ask? I'm glad you asked. I'm going to tell you. The H means hard and the B means black. The higher the B number, the more graphite that gets left on the paper. So when you're writing, it's all crumbly and black on your paper. You're probably using a 9B, <laughs> right? On a side note, the strange thing about graphite is that uh, it is a pure form of carbon that's one of the softest solids known. But if you change the atomic structure just a bit, There's another crystalline form of pure carbon that's one of the hardest known solids, a diamond. Okay, here's a question I bet you didn't even know you were going to ask. And that is, how long of a straight line could be drawn with a typical HB pencil before the lead was exhausted? Well, to answer that, we're going to turn to some math. (laughs) And it's math I did not do. (laughs) I got this from research, okay? The thickness of the graphite, not the width of the line, but the amount of graphite left on a sheet of paper by a soft 2B pencil is about 20 nanometers, not 21, 20 nanometers, all right? The pencil lead is about 2 millimeters in diameter. So if we draw a line of thickness of 20 nanometers and a width of 2 millimeters, and the size of our pencil is about 15 centimeters or about 6 inches, then there will be enough lead to continue for a distance of 1,178 kilometers or 732 miles. So at 732 miles, how many pieces of 8.5 by 11 paper do I need taped together to draw this line? So it's time for some more math. So we've got to see... Uh, There are 63,360 inches per mile. And I divide that by 11 inches. That comes out to be 5,760 pages of paper times 732 miles. I need 4,216,320 sheets of paper taped together so we can draw a line to see how much lead is in a pencil. (laughs) All right, and now it's time for the question of the episode. Why are most pencils yellow? Well, visitors to the 1889 Exposition in Paris, you know, under the Eiffel Tower, they're brand new. They saw a myriad of entertainment and technological innovations. But among those was a rather less dramatic one, but no less influential. It was the innovation from a Czech manufacturing company named Hardmouth Pencil. The pencil was formed, as all pencils are, a graphite core encased in a protective wood shell. What stood out was its color. Hartsmith's luxury pencil was painted yellow. Now, prior to 1889, highest quality pencils were left naturally and uh, polished. Manufacturers usually painted their pencils if they were looking to cover up imperfections in the wood. Accordingly, typical paint colors were dark, purple, red, maroon, or black. But Hartmuth was looking for a way to advertise the caliber of his graphite rather than its wood. Now, for a long time, the best graphite came from the West, in England in particular. Although the British supply of graphite eventually ran out, a new and superior source was found in Siberia. A number of pencil manufacturers, including Hartmuth, now sourced their graphite from Siberia, which shares its borderland with China. That geographic proximity was the key for Hardmouth as it devised its marketing scheme. In China, yellow had long been tied to royalty. The legendary ruler of the Chinese civilization was known as the Yellow Emperor. Centuries later, in Imperial China, only the royal family was allowed to wear yellow. Eventually, the shade came to represent happiness, glory, and wisdom. Hardmuth settled on yellow to communicate the graphite's geographical origins while also linking its product to the long-held Chinese associations of royalty and therefore superiority. To further emphasize the point, Hardmuth dubbed its new line of yellow pencils koinor, after the world-famous diamond from the British crown jewels. Since diamonds are graphite and koinor is the name of the exquisite diamond koinor, was deliberately chosen to suggest the quality of graphite in the pencil. The yellow pencil became so popular that the company actually changed its own name to the Cohenor Hardmuth. Now, although Kohenor Hardmuth was the first to produce yellow pencils, Faber and Dixon Ticonderoga followed closely behind. Competing pencil manufacturers colored their pencils yellow and gave them oriental names to suggest that the graphite they contained was equally as good, and it worked. An often repeated bit of pencil lore tells of an experiment conducted by Faber in the mid 20th century. The company distributed 1,000 pencils, half of them yellow, half of them green, to a test group. While both sets of pencils were identical apart from their color, the green pencils were returned en masse with complaints about their shoddy quality. Of course, not all pencils today are painted yellow. Many are the color of the company logo or a university sports team or in the case of mechanical pencil, not painted at all. But I say, if you think of a pencil or Google pencil or think back to your elementary school because of the marketing genius, of the 19th century pencil manufacturers, you think yellow and that will do it for this episode. But first, what have we learn? Well, we learned that pencil lead isn't lead. <laughs> it's graphite. We learned that plumbers originally got their name from working on lead water pipes. Uh, We learned that we owe the Chinese for the yellow color of our pencils. And we learned that it is absolutely impossible to draw a blank. (laughs) And that will do it for this episode number 87. Thank you very much for tuning and listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I did. (laughs) And I will talk to you next time on 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back. Bye-bye. Hi, it's me again, Doug. I want to take up a couple more seconds of your time just to remind you if you want to stay informed of when uh, the next podcast is posted, all you need to do is sign up at uh, on that Instagram machine. It's at 20MYNGB, uh, 20MYNGB, and that means 20 minutes you'll never get back. Uh, if you sign up there, you'll uh, always see when the next podcast is uploaded. And if you want to leave some comments, by all means, please do go to the uh, website at 20minutespodcast.com so it's 20minutespodcast.com and uh, you can uh, leave your comments there it also tells you how you can be an announcer for the show so take take a look at those two things if you like and stay informed And all, as always thank you very much for listening to uh, 20 Minutes You'll Never Get Back bye bye